Well, each of us can live with great assurance. You know why? I, at least I, I, I'm living with great assurance that nothing happens in my life that has not been arranged, appointed, or allowed by God. And I know it's the same for you as well, because the Bible tells me so. So that means that anything, everything that touches your life is filtered through God's will for your life. God does have a will for each one of you. He's accomplishing that purpose. And so that means that every Christian should then be deeply conscious of God's will for their life. You need to be committed to doing God's will for your life. George Truett said this, and, and, and I, I, don't really, I don't really agree with the first part, but I like the second part, and that's why I put it up here. So uh, I don't agree with the first part. If you're wondering why, I'll tell you later. But here's what he said. He said, to know the will of God is the greatest knowledge. To do the will of God is the greatest achievement. Well, if knowing the will of God is the greatest knowledge, then nothing could be any more important than for you to find God's will and, and, and know God's will for your life then. Look at that second part there. If doing the will of God is the greatest achievement, then doing God's will should be the great passion of your life. It should be what drives you. Just like Jesus, right? Remember, it, that was the passion for Jesus, right? It's like, not my will, but your will be done. My meat is to do my Father's will. That was Jesus' passion. should be ours. And so if you're passionate about God's will, well, then you need to pay attention to the words here in Hebrews 13. These are really helpful. Look at Hebrews 13, verse 20. This is the great benediction that uh, so many churches around the world use to finish their services. And it says this in verse 20, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, Equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I'll finish the book. Because verse 22 says, I appeal to you, brothers, talking to Christians, Bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. And grace be with all of you. So I propose to you today that God wants you to do something based on this text. And you say, well, what's that? I'm glad you asked. Here it is. That God wants to equip and energize you to do His will. Now, we'll break that down as we go through the message, but may I remind you, the whole book has been showing us that Jesus Christ is supreme. He's the best. And, and based upon who He is, He is truly worthy of worship. He is the one who, who, who deserves our praise and our trust and our faith. 
Hebrews 11 showed us that uh, the, the various aspects of faith, and faith is always the, the same, come the same way in the same person for, for all of human history. And remember, we come into chapters 12 and 13, we've seen a lot of commands. And so, it's interesting that, uh, oh, that that's pretty typical with New Testament books, isn't it? We get a lot of commands based upon the great theology. And so, we, we see here, God wants us to do His will. But how can we do God's will? That's a question, I've got a series of questions we'll, we'll answer here from the text. But how can we do God's will? Because right there in that benediction, did you notice it said that this God equips you with everything good that you may do His will? I want to start there. How can we do God's will? Well, number one, God is equipping you. God is equipping you. This is a, such a cool word. It is a deep, a deep, awesome, powerful word. Equip means this. It means to put something into its appropriate condition so that it actually functions well and properly. It conveys the idea of making whole by fitting together. It means to order, to arrange properly. And when it's applied to people, which of course this is applied to people, right? It's applied to the church here. To, to people who are weak and defective like us, it means you're setting right something that has gone wrong. It means to restore to a former condition. And it's really cool how this, this Greek word here, equip, has been used in various ways. Let me, let me show you this. I, I, I find this fascinating. Because when Greek doctors, or anybody who spoke Greek, when, when, when a doctor would use that word equip, they would use it in reference to setting a broken bone. You ever had that done? I have. Because when I was five years old, I had my shin bone broken. It's kind of hard to walk around and, and, and function properly and, and be a normal human being when you have a broken shin bone. It's supposed to hold up your weight of your body. And so the doctor had to get those broken bones in the right position so they would heal properly. That's the idea of equip. Uh, fishermen also used this. In fact, uh, the, the, some of the apostles were fishermen. And they would have used the, they would have done this very thing. They would have equipped. Because equip means you're mending the broken nets. Remember Jesus found the, the, some of the apostles on the shoreline after they had been fishing during the night. They would bring the, the nets that had been ripped by the fish and they would mend them, sew them up so that the fish would get caught in the net again. Sailors also use this word and, they would use it to outfit their ship for a voyage, preparing the ship for a long voyage. Soldiers used this word equip here when they were equipping themselves for uh, battle, when they would get ready for a battle. That's this word they would use. And you say, well, what's the point of all that? Well, here, here's the point, my friends. Our aw- awesome, amazing Savior wants to equip us for life here on earth. Not not just for eternity, for the future, but He wants you to be equipped even now. So tenderly, He wants to set our broken bones that we have in our lives so that we might walk straight, so that we can run our life race successfully. 
our Savior wants to repair the broken net, so to speak, so that we might catch fish, humanly speaking. He wants to equip us for the battles that we have, like Ephesians 6 talks about. He's given us the armor. He's equipped us with the armor of God so that we can defend ourselves. He's prepared our ships, so to speak, so that when the storms of life come, we're not going to sink. In other words, my friend, He wants to mature you. He he wants you to be ready for life so that He can work in us and through us to, to do what pleases Him and accomplish His will. So how is God doing this? How is He equipping us? Because He says right there, He is equipping us. How's He doing that? Well, number one, God's equipping you with everything good. Look at your text. That's what it says. Verse 21, equip you with everything good. You have what you need. Now that word equip is an amazing word that you'll see many other places in your Bible, in your New Testament. And you can really discover the tools that God uses in our lives to equip us. Turn with me to a few other places. I want you to see how that word equip, the same Greek word, how it's used in other places, and then you'll see the various tools that God has given you. What are the everything good? What is that? All right. Well, look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. And you tell me, what is the everything good that God has given? 2 Timothy chapter 3. See if you can pick up where the Greek word is used here. Okay, so 2 Timothy 3.16. Verse 16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now that one's obvious, because my translation uses the same word, equipped. You have been equipped for every good work. So what tool, in this context here, what tool has God equipped you with? What, could, what comes under this umbrella of everything good? Well, in this case, we have the Word of God. Scripture is the tool that God has equipped you with. That's awesome because, I mean, what is it doing in our lives? It's amazing. So God's given us this this treasure that is profitable for all sorts of things, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. He wants you to be a person who is complete. You're not lacking what you need. So the Word of God is part of the tool here, part of the everything good Turn over to 1 Thessalonians 3. 1 Thessalonians 3, and we'll see another one. So 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 10. says, As we pray most earnestly night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply 
what is lacking in your faith. Notice the word supply. Equip, in other words. Same word, same Greek word. God has supplied, God has equipped. What tool has He given you? He's given you prayer. So part of this, everything good here that God has given you is prayer. You have the Word of God, you have prayer, you can talk to God whenever you want, whenever you need Him, He's available 24-7. Let's look at another one, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. We'll see how this that same Greek word for equip is used here as well. Ephesians 4, verse 11. Verse 11 says that, that uh, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. So there you go. God has equipped you. He's given you fellowship within the local church. Fellowship within the local church is part of the everything good that God has equipped you with. You need it. If you don't use it, then you're not going to be properly equipped. Use it. It's a great tool. Let's look at another one. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6. Verse 1. Here's, here's another. The word, the word equip is, well, the Greek word's used here. But this one's different. So Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, or Christians in other words, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him to a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So in that context there, the word equip has been translated as restore. God is restoring. What's He doing? He, he, he's, he's taking individual believers... He's equipping us and mending us. What a great tool. Now here's one that might be surprising to some of you. Look what Peter says in 1 Peter 5. My last tool in the toolbox. So we have the Word of God. We have prayer. We have the fellowship in the local church. We have individual believers to, to equip us who are mending us. When we fall, you should have another Christian or several Christians in your life that pick you up and hold you up and help you walk through this life. Well, here's the last one. This one might shock some of you. 1 Peter 5, verse 10. Verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So the tool in your toolbox is suffering. <laughs> Everything good it includes suffering? Oh, that doesn't compute for some people. I, I thought I became a Christian so that my whole life would be, you know, I'd be wealthy and in good health and, you know, I'd have prosperity. It doesn't work that way. God's will for your life is suffering. It's a great tool. And He's using it. 
It's all part of that everything good that Hebrews 13 is talking about. But God has more. So He's equipping you with everything good, but for what purpose? Again, look at Hebrews 13. God is equipping you so that you will do His will. He's given you all those good tools, the everything good, that you may do His will. What is God's will for your life? I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. I'm not an apostle. I'm not even going to go there. The good news is God's given us the Scriptures. And in this context, God's will is found in chapter 12, verse 28. May I remind you that verse 28, after going through some great stuff, verse 28 says, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. And so you you should be asking, okay, then how do I offer acceptable worship to this God who is a consuming fire? Well, that's chapter 13. May I remind you, we, we had a, heaps of commands in chapter 13. Starting right there in verse 1. I'm not going to go through all the commands. You should know these already. I mean, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality. Verse 3, you're supposed to remember the people who are in prison. You're supposed to hold marriage in honor. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Right? That's verse 4. Keep your life free from the love of money. Verse 7, you're supposed to remember your leaders. And then it just keeps going and going. And eventually you get to verse 13. Let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Verse 15, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. Verse 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Verse 17 commands us to obey our leaders and submit to them. Right? You get the point. A lot of commands. All those commands there are showing you God's will for your life. You say, oh man, that's hard. I know. <laughs> How can I do that? How can I do that? You're right. That's It's very difficult. Here's the good news, my friend. Not only has God equipped you, here's number two. God has energized you. God is energizing you. God is energizing you. Let, let me illustrate it this way, okay? I brought with me a tool. God's given us the tools. Here we have a power tool. Hopefully you recognize this. A Bosch power tool. This is uh, my cordless drill. Our cordless drill. We use it a lot. One of my favorite tools for putting screws in things. I love putting screws in stuff. It's a great tool for doing that. Very helpful tool. So God has equipped you to do certain things. And so this, this tool this tool's helpful. The tools God has given you are helpful to accomplish those purposes. But if you're observant, you'll notice it's missing something. Everybody know what this is? 
a battery. Now, hopefully this battery has been charged, otherwise the battery is useless. So I was going to bring the other part, because there's a battery charger that goes with this, right? You put the battery in there, it charges the battery, and then guess what? You put the battery in the tool, and now it's supposed to work. But notice you need both of those things to accomplish your purpose, right? The tool by itself is pretty much useless. Almost useless. I can't do what I want it to do without the energy. <laughs> and it has to go in. It has to be filled with that energy. They have to be connected and to be useful. And that's what God has done here for us. See, God has not only equipped you, given you the tools, but he's also energized you because look what the Bible says. Verse 21, he has equipped you with everything good that you may do his will. Now here's the energizing part. He is working in us. He's energizing us. You say, what is... What does that look like? That word working there means God is doing. In this particular context, God, God is accomplishing His purposes and His will in us. And so that, that word is interesting because it's also present tense, which means that God is continually working in the believer's life. Not like the power grid that goes in and out at times, right? <laughs> so whoa, what, what use is... Uh, having electrical outlets when the power grid is, and the energy that's supposed to be going to your tools is not working. By the way, working in us means the Christian life is not us living like Jesus, trying to do our best for Him. But here's how it looks like, my friends. It's the Holy Spirit living in and through us. Now this simple truth, here's the key to understanding and appropriating the Christ life, if you will. And the idea, my friend, is that we can't live this Christian life, but somebody has. Jesus has. He did, and He will live it through us. And that is a supernatural life. It is what the world needs to see in and through us. For when we... we, we uh, for, for If the world... Think of this. If the world sees us living that kind of way, then they're going to see Christ in us. Hopefully. There's a trap, though. The trap that we sometimes fall into is some people try to clean themselves up, so to speak. Uh, in other words, we try to appear holy. You know, it's like washing uh, whitewashed tombs, for example, like Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 23. See, some people think, well, you know, I'll just... I'll just do all these things like, you know, I'm going to stop watching R-rated movies, I'm going to stop cursing, and I'm going to stop doing this, and I'm going to stop going here, and I'm going to, you know, you see what's happening? We abandon a few behaviors, and they think that makes us better. Well, that's actually bordering on legalism. It could be legalism, where you're living by trying to keep a bunch of rules, you're, you're trying to uh, have a set of do's and don'ts, and the Christian life is no longer a matter of stopping some things and just starting some others. See, your ability to sin or not is the result 
of the Holy Spirit who is in us creating a believer to then desire to want to please God. Because did you notice, what is He working in you? Verse 21. He's working in you that which is pleasing in His sight. So God is the one who's working in you and giving you that desire and empowering you to be Christ-like. So being holy or godly becomes then a daily thing and even a moment-by-moment choice which you're then led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so we have to continually die to our flesh or the sin nature. Put our old self to death, Romans tells us. We're to say yes to Jesus, in other words, and no to what our sin nature wants, to those fleshly desires, the lust of our flesh, and so forth. And then you begin to experience uh, His life in and through you. Well, you say, well, how is all of that equipping and energizing possible? You, you Maybe you still don't understand it. You know, where, Where's all this coming from? Glad you asked that question, because you need to understand what is the source of God's will in your life. The, the, there's some great truths here in verse 21, but if you're observant, I've purposely skipped over verse 20. And so in verse 20, we're seeing some great stuff here of the source of God's will. Number one, Where does all of that enabling and energizing to do God's will actually come from? Number one, you have the God of peace. You have the God of peace. And that peace there is an awesome word. It's the word shalom. This is something that people desperately seek for in their souls, and they do all sorts of things to try to get this. But my friend, true peace can only come through being reconciled to God. Read Romans 5.1. The Bible teaches that we are actually born in rebellion against God. Our, our sins make us enemies of God, this, this God who is absolutely holy. And so the Apostle Paul writes of those who are outside of Christ, here in Romans 8, verse 7, he says this, that the mind, look at this, the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Wow, you mean I can't do what verse 21 says in our text? That which is pleasing in His sight? Not on your own. No, you can't. And so the appeal in our text here in Hebrews 13 is made to the God of Shalom. That word is amazing. Because some people don't fully grasp what Shalom is. See, shalom is far more than just the absence of conflict. It is far more than just tranquility or whatever synonym. Uh, Shalom means you are complete. That God is fully sound. He is is your welfare, your well-being, your wholeness. It is a powerful word. So, So shalom is actually expressing God's own nature. His nature is one that never changes. 
His aim is to introduce peace in your heart and life, the very thing that the world wants and elusively grasps after is found here in the God of Shalom. So His love to us is something that will never disappoint because it's always going to achieve the highest blessedness in your life. And you say, will he? Really? Will he? Yeah, the answer is yes. He's going to do this, my friends. And he will do it most tenderly and delicately. He's not going to rest until the obstructions in your life are removed. And there's going to be then perfect harmony between his will and your response. Let me illustrate it this way. You know I love church history. There's an amazing story of someone who experienced the God of Shalom. In the year 1555, when the Queen the Queen of England was trying to wipe out Christians, Nicholas Ridley was burned at the stake for his faith in the one true God because of his witness for Christ. And on the night before Ridley was executed by the queen, his brother offered to come into the prison and remain with him in the prison chamber there. He wanted to be a source of comfort during his last night. But Nicholas Ridley declined his brother's offer, and he replied, that he meant to go to bed and sleep as quietly as he ever did in his entire life. Why? How could he do that? Just before he was going to be burnt at the stake. Well, it's because he knew this God of Shalom. He could rest in the strength of the everlasting arms of the Lord, whom he knew he was going to meet very soon. And my friend, so can you. So can you. You can do God's will. If that includes even suffering, like Nicholas Ridley, you can suffer in God's will because the God of peace has equipped and energized you to do that. You see how that works? It's not natural. But if you have the God of peace, then it becomes something that is something that you can do Some of our hymn writers understood this truth. Francis Havergal said it this way in the hymn, Like a River Glorious. Stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, finding as He promised, perfect peace and rest. It only comes from the God of Shalom. That is part of the source for doing God's will. But there's a second part. Number two, you have an unbreakable promise. An unbreakable promise. See, look at verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by The blood of the eternal covenant. Yes, it's an eternal covenant. An unbreakable promise. And so that eternal covenant there is referring to the new covenant, which comes from places like Jeremiah chapter 31. Look at this. 
Jeremiah 31, verse 31, here's what God says. God says, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Are you included in that? If you're a Christian, you're included in that. If you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, then and you know this God of peace, then you have this unbreakable promise. And the promise, by the way, what does that mean? It, well, it means nothing less than a renewed heart. It's talking about a personal relationship with the eternal God. And how does this come to you? How is it made available to you? Notice it is through the atoning work of God the Son and the indwelling of God the Spirit. Because did you notice what it said? It is by the blood, by the blood of the eternal covenant. Well, that's good news. He will certainly respect this everlasting covenant, which, by the way, notice it has been sealed. How was it sealed? It was sealed with Jesus' blood. And so God now has entered into this eternal covenant with us. And he, what, is it, what did he say in Jeremiah? I will be your God. I, I will be your friend. And that covenant, by the way, rests on his own unchanging nature. That's why it's eternal. It's been ratified by the precious blood of Christ. So at that first covenant, at the first covenant, it was sealed. Remember in the Old Testament? How, how, were, how was that covenant sealed? There had to be a lot of dead animals. That's how it was sealed. It was the blood of animals. But we come into the new covenant, and it was sealed by the precious blood of Christ. And Jesus understood this. Remember at the Last Supper, what did Jesus say? He said, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And so that's what Jesus said on the eve of his death. And so it's not possible that he who has entered into this kind of a covenant is ever then going to change his mind. God will never do that. He can't do that. And so then, you know what that means for you, my friend? If you're in Christ, you can count on this unbreakable promise. It's guaranteed. You can go to the bank with that, so to speak, right? You can count on the God of peace doing all that is required to mature us, to perfect us, to complete us, so that we can do His will. But there's a third part. It gets even better. So not only do you get the God of Shalom, not only do you have the unbreakable promise, look at this, you have the great risen shepherd. That's the third part. I skipped over that. Because notice it says in verse 20, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. You need to understand this, this shepherd imagery here, because Jesus talks about this when he lived here on earth. In fact, Jesus referred to himself as the good shepherd in John chapter 10. And he said that he is that good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And in Hebrews 13 here, verse 17, we see the author has already referred to the leaders 
of the congregation as those who keep watch over your souls. They are under shepherds. But even the best of leaders are imperfect shepherds, of course. But Jesus is not imperfect, though, is he? Jesus is the great shepherd, in fact, who does not lose any of the sheep that God the Father has given to him. Look what Jesus says here in John 10, verse 28. Jesus said, I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given to them, uh, uh, them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. That's great comfort. That is the great risen shepherd's words, which ought to bring us great comfort. I hope you have read Philip Keller's book. If not, I highly recommend you read Philip Keller's excellent book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. In that book, Philip Keller says this, quote, Domestic sheep are some of the most helpless animals in the world. I encourage you, by the way, this, he didn't say this, but I encourage you to go study sheep sometime. Just watch them. You'll see it. But he, he was a shepherd. And he says they literally cannot survive without a shepherd. They need him to guard them from predators, to lead them to pasture, to provide quiet sources of pure water, and many other necessities. In fact, they can even get stuck on their backs with their legs flailing in the air and die in that position if the shepherd does not come along and set them upright. The Bible calls us sheep to point out what should be obvious, but if you're a city slicker, it's not. But he didn't say that part. But he goes on and says, but what we often deny that we cannot survive without the good shepherd. God graciously sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be our good shepherd. You need him. You cannot survive without him. (laughs) You can't do his will without him. So not only is Christ the good shepherd, my friends, he's also the great shepherd of you, the sheep. Why? Because he is the risen shepherd. He's not dead. Did you notice he is called the great shepherd of the sheep? How did he get to be the great shepherd? How did he move from good to great? Well, that's that previous phrase, because he who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. He conquered death, and therefore becomes the great risen shepherd. He was brought back from the dead. And so as the great risen shepherd then, that means that his power and his position are supreme. Oh, here we go. That sounds like the theme of Hebrews. It is. He's this exalted one. He is exalted where? At the throne of God in heaven. All other shepherds, of course, pale in comparison. There is none like our great shepherd because he lives not only to give you life, he's there to care for you so that then you're able to do his will. So my friend, if you are a Christian, you get all three aspects here. They come in a complete package. What a powerful package. What do you get? You get God's peace, you get God's promise, and you get God's care. 
And all three come together in this powerful package, enabling you and energizing you to do God's will. So what more do you need? Don't, don't go looking for something, a better something out there, because there, it, it, it doesn't exist. There is nothing better. You have everything you need to do God's will. You say, okay, cool. Why did God do all this? <laughs> Why? What is the ultimate result of doing God's will? Well, here it is. L- look at the end of this benediction here. Verse 21. He, he's equipping you. He's working in you or energizing you. That which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ. What's the ultimate reality? To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. If you want to put it in Latin, it's sola Deo Gloria. Sola Deo Gloria. And that's how the prayer concludes. It's an ascription, if you will, of the praise and glory to God. It's, it's answering the number one catechism question. Usually the number one catechism question. What is the chief goal or purpose of a human being? What is the answer? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. My friends, notice He indeed is worthy to receive all blessing, all glory, honor, dominion, and praise. Therefore, nothing that you accomplish is the result of your strength but all honor and glory goes to the one who deserves it. (laughs) So praise for all Christian work that is accomplished is given to the Lord Jesus Christ. So my friends, will you this day, here's a question for you to consider, based on this text, will you this day fix your eyes, or as Hebrews 12 told us, look to Jesus, who alone is the source of your peace, who long ago prepared that peace in His great power, His person, His plan. May we together realize the purpose of His peace by receiving that great grace that the Hebrews 13 ends with. Grace be with all of you. And that comes by the the work of the Holy Spirit. So that the the, the reality, the, the purpose, the result will happen that There's great honor, glory, and blessing that comes to the whole church, the church worldwide. There's a wonderful poem. Uh, I don't know uh, where it comes from. Somebody's written this, though. They said this in this poem. Look at this. Empty hands I lifted to Him, and He filled them with a store of His own transcendent riches till my hands could hold no more. And at last I comprehended with my mind so slow and dull that God could not pour His riches into hands already full. Do you understand, my friends, your hands are already full? There's nothing more that could be given to you that you don't need. So my friends, God has opened your eyes, I hope. Has He? I hope He has. Has God opened your eyes that you would see your need for Christ? That's one of the great purposes of this entire book we've been going through. Who knows how long now? 
Christ is supreme. Don't look for a better deal anywhere else. And so let, let, let go of everything else and hold fast to Jesus Christ. In Him, God has provided all that you need for salvation from His judgment. In Him, God's provided all that you need so that you can live the Christian life in such a way that you actually please Him by doing His will. My friend, make sure that your faith rests in the right place. Does it rest in the great risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself? If not, you've missed the entire purpose of the book of Hebrews. There is nothing better. You you can't look to the angels, Hebrews has told us. You don't look to Moses or the Mosaic Covenant, the law. Don't look to other kinds of sacrifices. Don't look to your own good works. There is nothing that will ultimately satisfy you other than Jesus. Look to Him, my friends. He's the one you need. He's been provided for us. His work continues on your behalf. So, my friends, look at Hebrews 13, 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, here's what he's doing. He's equipping you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ. The ultimate result is it. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for doing this great work. Because we know that we we would never believe in Jesus on our own because we are dead in our trespasses and sins as, as unbelievers. A dead person would never do that on their own. So thank you for creating life in us, giving us the new life in Christ. Those of us who are believers, may we keep looking to Christ. He is everything that we need. He is more than enough. And we're thankful that we can accomplish the ultimate reality of Sola Deo Gloria, it is through Christ that, that all of this glory forever and ever can take place. Thank you for doing for us which we could never do for ourselves. Thank you for this equipping and this energizing. May we understand it. May we live in the light of this truth. Like, like this is <laughs> your will for our lives. May we please you. May we do your will with the right motives, the right purposes, through your strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.